Dear listener, if you're a Ruby on Rails developer or an aspiring Rails developer, I want to tell you about a resource I've created that I guarantee can help you become a better Rails developer, probably. I want to give you this resource for free. I'll tell you what it is and how to get it, but first, a little background. I've worked at a lot of jobs in the past where they had a certain class of problems. Their code was messy and hard to understand, which meant it took forever to make any changes. They couldn't refactor and clean up their code because it was just too risky to do so. There was no way to know you weren't breaking something. Deployments were also quite scary. We didn't have any automated tests, so each deployment had to be preceded with a round of manual testing which wasn't always very thorough. Not to mention, manual testing meant that we couldn't deploy with any reasonable frequency, and therefore each deployment was huge, which made the problem even worse. And nobody wants to work at a place like that, so we had trouble attracting and retaining good people. It's no fun to work at a place from which all the smart people have fled. The problem at these places, or at least one of the main problems, was that they didn't have strong testing practices. I'm willing to bet, dear listener, that you've worked somewhere that has had those same kinds of problems. Maybe you even work someplace like that right now. And you want it to get better, but maybe you don't know how to write tests. And maybe the people you work with don't know how either, or maybe they do, but they don't have time to teach you. That's where I come in. I've created a guide called the Beginner's Guide to Rails Testing. You can find it at railstestingguide.com. I've been teaching Rails testing for years, and so I've seen all the common Rails testing questions. Here are a few examples. Which test framework should I use, RSpec or Minitest? What level of test coverage should I shoot for? What are the different kinds of Rails tests? What are all the Rails testing tools and how do I use them? How do I add tests to an existing Rails project? The Beginner's Guide to Rails Testing covers these questions and several others. To get the Beginner's Guide to Rails Testing, go to railstestingguide.com. Now on to the episode. Hey, today I'm back again with Julian Farr. Julian, welcome to the show. Hey, Jason. Good to be here again. Yeah, good to have you. Um, would you like to give us a little intro of yourself? Uh, yeah, for sure. As, as I said, my name is Julian. Um, I am a software engineer, mostly focused on doing development with uh, Ruby and Rails. been doing that for about a decade and uh, currently having my head into um, helping a growing Rails team uh, stay sharp and focused and keep their velocity high. Great. Um, you know, on this show, I spend like an inappropriately large amount of time 
uh, dwelling on the the language and culture and so on of, of my guests. Uh, I don't know if anybody's interested in this besides me, um, but you're you're German. I have a hard time saying your name perfectly, and you know I notice one thing with languages because you you speak multiple languages, obviously. Um, one thing that's always kind of a tricky point in languages is those R's. Do you feel that way too? It's like R's are the weirdest letter. Uh, I totally agree. And I got to say the German R is even more difficult than the ones in a lot of other languages. So yeah, totally get it. Can you say your last name for me the way you say it? Yeah. So my the way I would say it in Germany, in German is Julian Faber. I see. Yeah, and that R, it's not quite the same as the American R or the British R or the French R or any Spanish R, any R. Yes, from a deep down the throat. Oh, I'm going to give it a try. Can you say it one more time? Faro. Faro. Yeah, I'm, yeah, I'm not going to get it. Pretty good. Yeah. Um, I'll practice that more later uh, off the air. Anyway... Um, we had one or maybe two topics we were going to talk about today. Um, one was feature flags, which is a topic near and dear to my heart. And the other was there was a blog post kind of making the rounds recently in the Ruby slash Rails community by um, Jorge Manrubia, I think is is the gentleman's name, uh, works at 37 Signals. And he wrote a post kind of about um, organizing Rails applications which is another topic near and dear to my heart. So if we'll have time, we will get to that one. Um, but first and foremost, feature flags. So let's open it up. Uh, what's on your mind regarding feature flags? Uh, yeah, let's maybe start by taking a minute to just talk what a feature flag is and it, what it's intended to do. Great. Um, and the, the way I look at a feature flag is it is a tool that allows you to decouple your deployments from your actual code going live. So you can merge your code, merge your code into the branch you're deploying, but that code is not turned on in production until you say so. And that solves a whole lot of problems that teams usually encounter as they get bigger. Yeah, I think of it as making the. This isn't a unique idea for me, but I think of it as the distinction between release and deployment. Just because you're deploying some code doesn't mean you're releasing those features. Totally. Yeah, yeah. And just to make another comment is like, I had a job some time ago where my boss was the, of the opinion that the only reason to do a deployment is if you have new value to deliver to users. Um, and so I had some conflict with my boss in that area because, frankly, I think that's quite a simplistic way of looking at it because um, the more disparity you have between your development environment and your production environment, um, the bigger the delta is going to be anytime you do do a deployment and so the greater the opportunity for problems to arise when that happens. Um, so I think even though um, it's maybe not the most obvious thing in the world, if you can keep close parity between your development environment and your production environment, um, the fewer problems in that area you're going to have. That, that sounds right. I think there's um, studies around that too. Um, for example, the 
from the Accelerate book, the four key metrics, um, like essentially these metrics that um, they don't say you are a highly productive team. They just notice that highly productive teams score really good in those metrics. Mm. One of them being the deploy frequency. So the more often a team deploys, the more likely it is that this team is performing well. Um, and another of that metric is the lead time to changes. So how long does it take from you starting to write code to that code being merged into your uh, de deployment branch? Mm -hmm. um, so naturally, if you think about it, if, uh, if you use feature flags and you have the ability to decouple the release and the deploy from each other, you can deploy way more often because you don't necessarily release the feature. Um, and if you have the ability to release an incomplete feature, you can merge your code sooner than you would otherwise. Right. Yeah, because of course the problem that this solves is like somebody might say, oh, okay, great. Like I'm sold on the idea that frequent deployments and close parity between production and development is a good idea. But... You know, I can't deploy every day if I have a feature that takes two weeks to build and it can't be released to users until it's fully complete. That's an argument against that that I've heard before. And feature flags, of course, make it so that you can hide those features so that you can work on it for two weeks and still deploy it as you're working on it. You just don't release it until the end. Exactly. Also, giving you the benefits of, you know, smaller PRs that you can, like, look at in in smaller chunks, easier to review, easier to understand, and so you get these, these compounding effects of smaller steps that ultimately allow you to move faster. Yeah, exactly. Um, and I guess I should also say that another benefit of feature flags is rollback. Like if you release something and there's some unexpected problem that pops up in production, which a lot of times does happen, um, then you can easily roll the feature back if it's under a feature flag. Yep. Uh, you can even release it slowly. So you can like turn it on for 10% of users or for you know 20, like slowly keep rolling it out, having the chance to catch errors before they hit a massive amount of users. Yeah, that's a great point. I've never done exactly that myself because I don't think I've worked at that scale. Um, I think what I have done before is like, um, maybe it's an especially risky or experimental feature or something like that, um, and I'll turn it on for a few specific individuals. Um, because even, you know, the difference between having zero users having tried the feature and having one user tried the feature, that's a really big difference. Like, I would feel pretty comfortable... Okay, let me put it this way. If I were going to release a feature to 10,000 people... Um, there wouldn't be a huge difference between my comfort level having let one user try it out and having let 100 users try it out beforehand because there's just such a huge difference. Like, has anybody tried it out at all? Uh, most of those problems are going to be revealed by that one person. Maybe. Don't quote. I'm not sure about that. No, I think that's right. I think uh, there's diminishing return and increasing the number, right? Like I think zero to one, huge benefit of uh, having that tested. And then one through 10, there might still be like more edge cases that you discover, but already diminishing returns. And it just keeps going in, in that direction. Yeah. And you know what? 
I used to um, I used to do a lot of like in person usability testing. So I'd like um, develop prototypes on pen and paper, and then I would do these usability testing sessions with people. And I've worked with some people who would like okay. And my way of doing it was like I would do it with usually just one individual, um, and then maybe I would do it on another individual after that. But people would be like, "Why are you doing it on just one person? We need to do it with like five or ten people so we can get like a." Um, not statistical significance, but, you know, get a variety of different viewpoints and stuff like that. And my experience was like, yes, that logically, logically I would agree with that. But in my experience, once it makes contact with just one single person, like it never survives contact with that first person. It's always the case that my initial design is way off and needs to be completely rethought. So it would actually be really wasteful to perform that with mm. with like 10 people with the first iteration of the design so i think it makes more sense to test with just one person until it's fairly refined and then let several people um let it go through the process with several people after that that's that's really interesting i haven't even thought about that but yeah there's there's a higher chance of you being wrong the earlier you are in the process yeah, and obviously that's a little different from the feature flag thing because we're talking way early in the life cycle. We're talking the design stage for that. Um, but something that um, that is relevant that took me until late in my career to acknowledge is like development of a feature doesn't end at deployment. You know, like quite often you release the feature into production and then there's some problem with it. It might not be so bad that you want to roll it back, Um but it's, it's, I don't want to say, I don't know. It ha- it happens a lot that you release something and there's, oh, I didn't think of that. I didn't realize people would use it in that way, blah, blah, blah. Yeah, it's it's hard to envision all the, the cases in which a feature could be used or even how other features you develop in the future will affect that existing feature. Um, so it's, like essentially yeah. you're just dealing with this web of, connected things that influence each other and that's ultimately what makes software so so complicated right the more features you add the more connections you have and that that complexity complexity just grows uh, exponentially essentially yeah that's very true yeah and it's hard if not impossible i'd say impossible to imagine how all these things are going to interact with each other totally yeah Anyway, I took us off on some tangents. Did you have a next place you wanted to go with the with the feature flag discussion? Anything specific? Yeah, I think something that might be interesting is uh, the struggles you can experience with feature flags, right? It's like it's not like you use feature flag and all of a sudden your world is uh, infinitely better and you have no problems. Uh, there's there's always trade offs and uh, things you have to change in terms of your process, your approach, and the way you think about your your development life cycle as well. Mm. What do you mean? Um, for example, one thing specifically in the Ruby world is that we want to keep our code dry. We don't want to repeat ourselves. And um, I found that when you are adding feature flags to your code, you make your life significantly uh, easier if you just accept duplication for a while, right? Like feature flags, in my opinion, should ideally be short-lived. 
if they if you need long-lived feature flags, that's a different topic, and you can build systems for that. But if you want to like roll out a feature, thinking of that as um, I want this feature flag to be uh, short-lived as much as possible, and in order to keep make it easy for me to add this feature and remove it later. I'm just going to duplicate a big piece of code, um, and then later I can remove that old piece of code. Oh, interesting. So, like, what kind of thing would get duplicated? Um, yeah, that's that's the tricky thing about using feature flags is finding that entry point. And often you need multiple. Let's say you have um, you have a UI that you're going to make some changes to. Maybe you add a new field to a form. Simple example, right? So you could add a feature flag in the view and you say, you know, only show this field when the feature flag is on. And maybe this is like very critical. Um, so you have another feature flag somewhere that says only um, display this information in this other place if that feature flag is on. And maybe you also want to add a flag in your controller that says um, only accept this input when this feature flag is on. So that just like mm -hmm. essentially all these places where you deal with this data, you add this feature flag. Oh, and that's the duplication you're talking about? I, I think that's ultimately a way that leads to a lot of pain because you like throw these conditionals all the way across the code base. The duplicated conditionals, and that's the duplication you mean? Uh, no, I think that's the... That's not the duplication I mean. That's the duplication I think I would strive to avoid and think about it in a slightly different way, like... Well, can does it matter if your controller accepts the data if the form field is there or not? P probably not, right? Like it could just like fill in a default or ignore the field, uh, like accept that the field is missing and and move on. Um, same thing for displaying that data in some other place. Can you instead of you know relying on the feature flag there, just have a piece of code that only displays this piece of information if it is present. So instead of relying yeah. on this feature flag, you you know build your feature in a way that is more or less backwards compatible with your old system, and you only need to feature flag a single place in your code. Yeah, I totally agree. Because like if you get to the point where you ha start having feature flags embedded in your application logic all over the place, that gets really hard to follow, and it creates a lot more permutations of what's possible. Um, I agree with what you're saying. Like it's, it's. I mean, the ultimate, the ultimate hope is that you could like just have one single instance of that feature flag at wherever that feature is surfaced. You know, it doesn't necessarily matter. It's like okay, maybe it would be illogical to have this code in your application that is really under this feature flag, but you're letting this code execute 100% of the time anyway, even though it doesn't really apply in all cases. So maybe that's illogical pre-release of that feature. But if it doesn't actually change any behavior, it doesn't affect anything, then I say don't have that feature flag there, just leave that part alone and only put the feature flags where you need them. Is that, am I saying the same thing as you or, or were you saying something a little different? No, I think we, we are saying the, the same thing. You want to essentially think about what is the minimal amount of 
places, I need to add this feature flag to hide it correctly and also not affect existing code or have the chance to break existing code. Um, maybe going away from from like a a display example, let's say you have, um, I don't know, maybe you are doing promotions in a different way. Like you, you bill for something and you have promotions, you want to like turn on this feature of like this different promotion calculation. Maybe you want to like apply multiple promo codes instead of a single one or something like that. And maybe you have a class that takes, you know, a price and promo codes and, um, currently like finds the best pro promo code and applies that and your new code wants to like apply all of them in the best order for the customer so that they get the maximum discount like i oh, know first you subtract twenty dollars and you get like a twenty percent discount on top of that versus twenty percent first and then twenty dollars i think this would be the better way but you, you know what i'm trying to say yeah yeah um so instead of trying to fiddle that into that existing class and add a bunch of conditional, right? Like if feature flag is on, do it in this order and then maybe further down in the calculation, check again. I would just copy this whole class or maybe this whole class and the subclasses it uses, um, change them and then have like a top level object that would branch between those two code paths. I see. I mean, maybe I see. I, I think I understand the general high-level idea, um, but I can't claim to understand all the details. Um, yeah, yeah, basically, yeah. Hmm. That's maybe a complicated example. The more complicated the feature is, obviously, the trickier the dance of moving from the old way to the new way. Yeah, it's, it's also hard to talk about with actually seeing some codes in front of you and being able to follow. Um, I think the, the general rule is, you know, if you have that urge to um, keep your code dry when adding a feature flag, it might be good to, might be good to resist that urge um, and just grace, graciously copy the code you're trying to modify so that you can throw away the old code path later in, in a single go. I see. Well, now you've triggered me, Julian. You've you've mentioned dry twice. I suppressed my monologue the first time, but now that you've said it twice, I can't um, I can't control myself anymore. Um, so, I think a lot of developers have a bit of an unclear idea around what dry means and how to approach it and stuff like that. So, if I may, I'd like to take us on a brief side trail to to talk about dry for a second and then maybe come back because i think i agree with you but maybe we have to lay down some some baseline ideas before we can really uh figure out whether whether we're on the same page or not so first of all what is duplication um do you do you have your own definition of, of what you consider duplication to be mm -hmm. uh I can come up with one, but I'm sure you have a way better one. So I'm gonna, you know, hand the mic back to you. <laughs> well, here's here's mine, and I didn't come up with this. I got it from somebody else, but it's it's what I subscribe to. Um, duplication is when you have two copies or more copies of the same behavior expressed in multiple places, and that could either mean identical code 
or not identical code. Because, of course, you can imagine how the same exact behavior could be expressed in uh, two different ways. Um, and it also doesn't always mean that um, the same exact code in more than one place represents duplication, even though it's literally character for character the same. If it's a different behavior, um, then that's not true duplication. So the significant thing is not the expression of the code. The significant thing is whether it's the same behavior or a different behavior. That makes sense. Yeah. Um, and I might have to pull up my own. I, I wrote this big, long blog post recently on, on duplication because I just got so frustrated. Um, there's kind of, there, there are these couple heuristics that I've encountered. Um, one is wet, write everything twice. So the advice is when you encounter some duplication or when you need to write something new that's duplicative of something that exists, maybe you wince a little bit when you write this new duplicative code, but allow yourself to write it twice um, before you deduplicate it uh, the third time. That's the thing that triggers you to clean up the duplication is that third time. But I'm now remembering the other thing I wanted to say that's more foundational. Um, what makes duplication uh, more severe or less severe? And to give myself time, Julian, I'm, I'm going to pull up my blog post, but do you have any thoughts on what makes duplication more severe or less severe? Um, yeah, I want to say uh, cohesion, right? Like if you have this duplicated code and if you change it in one place, you need to find the other place and change it as well, right? Like let's say you have, I don't know, some magic number in your code, 42, and 42 has like a specific business meaning. And then if 42 changes to 43, you now need to find all the instances and change them. That's bad duplication. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Um, and something, okay, so I have my, my, my blog post up now and I remembered something that I wanted to, to cover early in our duplication discussion, which is like, why even is duplication bad? And obviously you touched on it a bit just now. Um, but to me, the main reason duplication is bad is because it can leave a program susceptible to developing logical inconsistencies. So obviously if you have two copies of the same behavior, but it's really one behavior, then you should never have a case where one behavior changes and the other stays the same because then it's necessarily true that one of the two is now wrong and that's a bug. So that's a cost of duplication. And then the other reason is, the other cost of duplication is the cost you just mentioned where if you have multiple instances of something that's really the same thing, then you have to go and find all those instances. Um, and so those, those to me are the cost of duplication. Does, does that seem right? Anything you would add? No, I think that that sounds exactly right. They, they almost sound like the same thing to me, right? Like if you want to find all the places so that you avoid that logical inconsistency, um, and ultimately that, that might even like be a segue into like the, the organization of code, right? If you have code duplicated in this way, then that means you haven't identified and found this the abstraction that encapsulates that code and put it in a place to make it reusable, right? Like could be a calculation, could be, 
I don't know how you display text or whatever, but ultimately they're on your path. You like fail to identify that that abstraction. Yeah. Mm, you're triggering me again, Julian, because you use the word abstraction, <laughs> and I have I have an issue with the association of the words duplication and abstraction. But we'll we'll get to that in a little bit. Um, I, I, I want to I want to now touch on again what makes duplication more severe or less severe so i've identified three things um one is how easily discoverable the duplication is so you know obviously imagine you have two duplicated lines they're right next to each other not a huge deal because they're right next to each other but let's say again going back to two different expressions of the same behavior and let's say they're very distant from one another so if they don't even look the same and they're in very distant parts of the code base, then how are you going to be even aware that the duplication exists, let alone take the time and trouble to fix it? So that, that distance and discoverability is a big one. Um, number two, how much extra overhead the presence of the duplication incurs. So again, going back to those like two lines right next to each other, that's pretty, you know, you change one, you change the other one, it's it's not a big deal. But if you have two instances, and again, this is a distinct thing from the discoverability, because even if you have two copies of something that are really close to each other, so the discoverability is high, they could still be different enough from each other. Maybe you've had to do this in the past, Julian, where you like have to change two different things to add a new behavior to both of them, and they're not quite the same. And so it's not as simple as just applying the same thing twice. You have to apply it to the one and then apply it in a slightly different way to the, the other one. Have you ever had to do something like that? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I know what you mean. Yeah. And then third and last is how much traffic that area receives. So obviously, certain parts of a code base will naturally go through more change. And okay, so when I say traffic, I mean two things. One is how frequently it changes and the others how frequently it needs to be understood because there are areas that change a lot and there are areas that are just important areas so people look at them a lot they need to understand this area frequently in order to understand something else so those two things is what i mean by traffic so if if the duplication is easily discoverable and it incurs very little overhead and it's a low traffic area then i think it's not that bad but if the duplication is really hard to discover and maintaining that duplication incurs a lot of extra overhead and it gets a lot of traffic, then that's really bad, I think. So I, I have more to say about duplication, but I'll, I'll pause there if you have any comments. Yeah, I think that that is really well set and kind of like speaks to like making the trade-offs to like when accept or even produce duplication. And I think thinking about feature flags, right? If the feature flag is short-lived, then you know that it's not going to be frequently visited. The traffic is going to be low and you actually potentially reduce overhead because you have two very distinct paths that you can understand independent from each other rather than trying to like in your head understand this feature from two different perspectives at the same time, right? With the flag on and with the flag off. Yeah, I think I would agree. 
Because in that case, those two things aren't really the same thing. It's like one of those two copies is ephemeral. It's doing a distinct job for a limited of uh, for a limited period of time, and it's going to go away. And so maybe trying to unify those two things, you're trying to unify two things that are really genuinely two separate things. Totally. And I think it's it can be really difficult to spot that, right? Like, is this the same thing or is it different? Do I want that duplication or do I not? I think that is part of the skills that you develop as a software engineer over over many years. Yeah, that can be subtle and sometimes even subjective. Yeah, so I think that's a little bit tough. Yeah, for sure. Um, okay, and my next part of my blog post is where I, I attack the popular guidelines around duplication, and I, I say why I don't think they make sense. So the first one that I criticize is, is the rule of three slash write everything twice. So it's kind of the same thing with two different names. Um, again, tolerate duplication when it's just two instances and rewrite it on the third time. But as we just discussed, there's these other three criteria, the discoverability, the, um, can't even remember my own. What was the second one? Overhead. Yeah, that's right. The overhead that it incurs. And then thirdly, the, uh, the traffic level. Um, and what in the world does the, whether it's two instances or three instances have to do with it? Because imagine this, I'll, I'll, I'll make a really stark example that I think is irrefutable. Imagine three lines that are all right next to each other, three very simple lines. Um, so the discoverability is high, um, overhead's low, and the traffic is low, let's say. That's not very severe duplication, but it's three. It's three things, all right? And then you can imagine, again, an example of, of two separate things. So they're distant, the overhead's high, and um, the traffic is high also. That's very severe duplication, but it's only two things. But what does the number of instances have to do with anything? So that's that's why I call BS on that one. I, I see where you're coming from. Um, and... I think just, you know, taking that to the abstract, not trying to trigger you with that word. Um, <laughs> I think part of why knowing about this rule can be helpful at some point in your journey is I think if you take things to the extreme, right, and you just really write everything twice, you get the experience of how that feels and the pain you discover in certain scenarios and not as other, and it kind of helps you to, like, build that that intuition of what to do next. And I'm not saying, you know, please write everything twice in your career for like a year and see how it feels. It's just something to to try out and keep in mind. I think it just gets dangerous if people look at it as a rule that has to be followed. Um, yeah, it does make sense. And something that I something that I I, I tweeted something about this the other day. Um, I don't like to talk anymore about things being good or bad in programming. I prefer to speak in ep economic terms of things having uh, costs or risks and benefits and advantages. So I'll never say that duplication is bad because um, I don't believe duplication is good or bad. It just has costs. Um, 
And and when you're trying to decide whether to deduplicate something, it's like, well, what's more costly, the way it is now or this other way that it could be? Because sometimes having duplication is the least costly way to go. So yeah, I, I, I agree with you. I don't think it's good or bad. I think it's just a cost-benefit analysis. Yeah, I, I really like that, that phrasing. So, yeah, I think actually half the job is just, you know, making bets on what's uh, going to cost less long-term versus... versus exactly. Short-term. Yeah, it's like every piece of code we write is a bet, and the hope is just that on average our bets pay off. Um, so one last criticism, and this is a... I'm, I'm venturing into dangerous territory here, but it's often repeated in the Ruby community, duplication is cheaper than the wrong abstraction. And I wrote a whole blog post just about that phrase itself. Um, but my refutation here is that why, and maybe you have some thoughts on this since, since you said abstraction, why are we making a connection? Why are we making a necessary connection, I should say, between duplication and abstractions because creating an abstraction is not the only way to deduplicate something. You could deduplicate something by just creating two functions and it's not necessarily an abstraction or it's not necessarily more of an abstraction than the thing you started with. Uh, so I think I think it's kind of a non sequitur to say duplication is cheaper than the wrong abstraction. So another way you could say that without involving abstractions is duplicated code is cheaper than uh, the worst version of a unified version of that code. Um, hang on, I, I wrote it more eloquently in my uh, blog post. Yeah, what I wrote in my post was, duplicated code is better than a du- deduplicated version that's even worse. And it's like, of course that's true, um, but it's kind of like, it's a bit banal to say that, and so I don't really feel like that that adds anything. So that's my opinion on that i think people should stop saying that i think i that's an interesting interpretation uh, i had a different one mm. um and not saying like one's more right than the other and this this is something i experienced many years ago where this clicked for me um let me see if i can describe that so, so a for, yes, I agree. Saying it this way is extremely easy to misunderstand and misinterpret, and we should probably stop saying it this way um, and maybe find a better way. Um, where this clicked for me many years back, I was writing this application that was essentially allowing people to share files in a very specific way. It was like for companies that had to share like digital media and receive feedback. And it was like, you know, uh, emails and different types of documents. And um, there was a second company that wanted the same product. So I tried to like generalize this. And what I thought in my head was like, well, ultimately the differences is like in the email templates and in like the UI perspective. So let me like build this system that abstracts all of that into these other concepts so that people can manage their own templates for emails and, you know, the UI and, like, file types and things like that. And that was the wrong abstraction because I thought that was good, right? I had to write less code overall because I could, like, use the same code base as is for two customers. Um, And 
that was the wrong abstraction because people didn't want to maintain their own template. Um, so I maintained these templates, but because you know I didn't have an IDE to do that, I had to do that in the browser. Um, it was a click with injected into HTML and then like didn't have good preview functionality. It was a pain to deal with and I actually ended up reverting that and just cloning the repo and having two repositories um, with duplicate, you know, 80% duplication or 90% duplication. Um, and I could move much faster uh, even if I had to like apply a patch like two of these instances. Hmm. Interesting. Does that make sense? Well, I didn't understand everything. Um, so, yeah, that, yeah I, I, I don't want to pretend that um, I don't want to say I agree or don't agree or anything because, uh, because I'm not sure I understood. Um, but was that a case of unifying two things that in hindsight should not have been unified? Do I understand that part right? Yeah, it was... I, I, desperately tried to find an abstraction because I didn't want to duplicate a, a huge amount of code in this case. And mm. I think had I just duplicated a huge amount of code, I would have saved myself would have saved myself um, hundreds of hours probably of of developing stuff. Hmm. And why do you think your answer in that instance to the duplication was an abstraction? Uh, I think because um, I was very much focused on the, you know, don't repeat yourself track as like a rule. Like I don't want to do that again. And I didn't have the skills or the knowledge to like actually realize, well, what I do want is I want to push some of the functionality further down into like a library, a gem or something like that, and then reuse that in multiple applications. What I thought about is I have to build an application that is abstract enough in a way to support multiple use cases. I see. Now we're maybe making a connection that I haven't made before um, because in a certain way of thinking, the more abstract something is, the more reusable it is. Um, and so maybe a person could could follow the chain of reasoning that if I take this thing and make it more abstract, uh, then I can use that to remove duplication because now I have this more abstract, more reusable thing. Um, and then that can be my solution. Hmm. I had not thought right. about it quite through that lens before. Interesting. Yeah. Well, I'll, I'll have to mentally chew on that for a bit. Yeah. Enjoy. I think, <laughs> <laughs> I think the, the, the revelation for me there is just like abstraction isn't always good and abstraction incurs complexity. Um, and sometimes that is what you want and sometimes it's not. So it's just um, good to like think about walking that path. And that means sometimes starting with duplication can allow you to actually find the abstraction mm -hmm. with less work can't does doesn't always but yeah 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 i don't know it's like creating creating unfitting abstractions causes pain and poor abstractions can be born more than one way 
I suppose poor abstractions can be can be born pretty much anyway. Um, and the process of duplication is just one one way that a poor abstraction could be born. Um, and so I've I've never, at least in the past, until this conversation right now, I've never made any particular uh, connection between deduplication and abstraction, because I don't know why that's the case for me. But maybe those are just separate jobs in my mind. Like for me, deduplication is um, well, I yeah, deduplication is a really specific kind of task. And it's kind of a pattern task. Like I, I kind of approach it in a, roughly the same way every time I do it, um, and then creating an abstraction, like taking taking code that's not structured, and then putting it into a structure that's composed of abstractions. To me, maybe that's a later step. So maybe I usually do those uh, sequentially. If I do both at all, like mm-hmm. I'll do the deduplication, and then sometime later is when the abstraction step happens but i'm not sure it's not something i've given a lot of conscious thought to i think i don't know maybe you could argue that if you are deduplicating code let's say you have like you know the number 42 in two places and you extract that into a constant somewhere then you added an abstraction right you no longer references this concrete 42 you reference the abstraction which is represented as this constant so i think in some way they are related but it's it's fuzzy in in the language like is that an abstraction you just added a constant um yeah that's a good well so i hate to drag us into like a super fundamental philosophical discussion but what is an abstraction uh i read really good definition at some point and i wish i I had it, I think it was by Sandy Metz, but I'm not 100% sure. Um, so I store a lot of uh, my opinions outside my own brain. Um, I, I actually wrote my own post on abstraction, um, but I forgot what I said. But I think I think basically the idea is like hiding low-level incidental details. Yeah, here's here's maybe what I think it is. It's um it's it's showing what's essential and hiding what's incidental. Showing what's essential, hiding what's incidental. Okay. Yeah, I can get behind that. Um and maybe that's that's not my final answer on what I think abstraction is. <laughs> um but also it's like um it's like um, it has to do with the level of detail too. You know, you can have a low level of abstraction or a high level of abstraction, or it's more like a thing. An abstraction hides details that are like one level down, and then maybe you might have something one level up from that that's even more abstract. That kind of thing. Yeah, I think DHA phrases it as um, cognitive compression, right? Like adding these abstraction allows you to compress the cognitive load you need to like keep that concept in your head. For example, I, I don't I don't know assembly or like you know the ones and zeros that my computer under the hood puts through through its pipeline. Uh, I 
I speak Ruby, so I don't have to like care a lot about these details. Um, so Ruby is an abstraction on top of like a more low level language that my computer speaks. Exactly. Yeah, and so if we take that 42 constant or that, that 42 number and we put it into a constant with a name, have we created an abstraction? I'm not sure if we have. I, I think all we've done is we've given that value a name. And I think that's not quite the same thing as an abstraction. I could be wrong, but that's my current thought. I think, you know, maybe, maybe it's also context dependent, right? You could say, well, that it's the number 42 is an incidental detail of the implementation. Um, and the, uh, what was the other word? Incidental, uh, essential. essential. And the essential knowledge is like what it refers to. For example, it's like, you know, the answer to all things. So if, if we can call <laughs> the answer to all things, mm -hmm. then. Uh, well, you know what I think it is. Here's when it would become an abstraction. Tell me if you agree with this. Is if if 42 has one meaning in one context and another meaning in another context, um, and then you unify those, you put them in a constant somewhere else, and you give it a more abstract name that covers both cases, maybe then you've created an abstraction. Mm, so you're saying you need to essentially have you need to identify the different use cases it is used in and unify those in, in the way you name it? Well, let me say it like this. Okay, I think it's called an abstraction because it's more abstract. Uh, like it, it packages up details. It, okay, let's use the word concrete maybe. Um, an abstraction packages up concretions. Um, and so if you're taking a thing, okay, let's say this number 42 means the same thing everywhere. It means the answer to, well, I don't remember the thing, but yeah, to, to answer to everything. Yeah. 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 Um, if it has the same exact meaning everywhere. And so we just put a label on it and say, that's the answer to everything. That's not an abstraction. I'm going to say, um, but if there's something else, let's let's say there's some different thing that's not this 42 example, but it's, it's something else. Um, and we give it a more, okay, uh, let's, let's say that, all right, I don't know if this example is going to work, but we have something to do with a hamburger, something to do with an apple, something to do with pumpkin pie. And we have these, these different things all over, but then we give it just one label of food. You know, food is more abstract than pumpkin pie or an apple or whatever. Um, so then we've created a, an abstraction if we did that. So I think maybe that's the difference. I see what you're saying. Um, yeah, I don't know. We we could keep uh, could keep talking about this for a while. I think ultimately uh, there's there might also be arguments for you know 42 is an integer with like a specific value, and if you give it a name, you like abstracted that away because it no longer matters that it's an integer in 42. What matters is that it's the answer to everything. And, and this might be like, also like a very bad example we're talking about, but. Uh... Well, yeah, it might be. Well, I think the, 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 the weakness, if that example has a weakness, is that 42, you know, it kind of has one meaning. It's hard to connect that to some kind of abstraction or something like that. Um, yeah. But to, to circle back, 
I think I maintain my opinion that deduplication and abstraction are actually I don't know. I was gonna say I maintain my opinion that deduplication and abstraction are orthogonal to one another. Um, but maybe I don't agree with that statement. Um because one way to deduplicate something is to create something more abstract and then have both things use it. Um, but okay, let me put it this, let me say this. I think it's a, a natural connection to make, but I don't think it's a necessary connection. Got it. Um, what, do you have an example of the other way? How can you deduplicate de without abstracting it away? Oh yeah. Um, let's think of something that could be duplicated. Um, what is something that could be duplicated? So hard to think of examples on the fly. I, I know, I know. We should look at some concrete code. Um, oh well, let's just say this. Let's say you have. Oh, let's say you have a function that calculates somebody's. Uh, it figures out somebody's exact uh, age, which. If, if you haven't done that, dear listener, it's more complicated than it sounds to figure out somebody's age. Um, but you maybe have two functions somewhere. It's just the same function that figures out somebody's age in, in two different places. You could deduplicate those by just um, having one place where that function that calculates the age lives. And then both those two places uh, use that same function instead of using the two separate functions. Uh, you've deduplicated it without making any new abstractions. I see. So the, the the abstraction has already been there, and you're just moving it around essentially, and yeah, keep invoking. Yeah, and I'm not even sure that I would call that an abstraction. Like, as a function that create that that determines somebody's age, is that an abstraction? I, I guess it doesn't even matter whether it is or not. But no new abstractions have been created. That makes sense. Yeah. So yeah, I, I I guess I can I now better understand why some people make the connection between abstraction and deduplication, but I maintain that it's not a necessary connection. Yep. So Julian, which should we spend more time on, feature flags or duplication? <laughs> <laughs> it was a really interesting conversation so far. Um, do you have more thoughts? Um, mercifully, no, I don't have more thoughts. <laughs> um yeah but you know i think that's like a really important thing because like it's a super fundamental part of programming you know it's it's not just a rails thing it's not any technology specific thing it's a fundamental idea and again frankly i think it's it's one that's very imperfectly understood and again i could be wrong on some of that stuff but i i think i'm right on most of that stuff and i hope I hope I can persuade other people to come around to my way of thinking on some of those things. So now, now that we've talked about all that, we can come back and now I think we can understand each other a bit better when we talk about duplication in the context of feature flags. Yeah, I'm glad we uh, we went through that. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I'm I'm not sure if we need to like tie that back. I think we we may or I was able to like express the, the main point where it's like duplication in feature flags can be beneficial and you don't need to fear it because it has 
low traffic, uh, low overhead, and I forgot what the third one was. Uh, traffic overhead. Uh, oh, and it's uh, how close they are together. And usually they're right next to each other, right? So you, I don't know, you copy maybe the file and you keep it in the same directory, or you copy mm. the class, the function, whatever it is. And usually they, they live next to each other. So that type of duplication, according to those criteria, is isn't very costly. I see. Okay. Yeah, I'm glad we came because I felt unsatisfied. I didn't understand exactly what you meant. And now I feel like I do understand what you meant. Yeah, it's like so valuable to have these shared vocabularies and shared principles and stuff like that. Because because then you can, when you say, you know, word duplication before, it's like, well, what exactly do you mean by duplication? It's maybe not the same exact thing that I mean. I think there's a general problem when building software. Um, I don't know what your experience is, but I feel like for me, most of the time when I work with product or other functions in the business, trying to like help them, you know, spin off a project or plan something, 90% of the work is just helping people align on what they actually mean when they say things, right? Like someone says like, we need to check credit cards when we accept them, it's like, what does that even mean? Do you need to like add an authorization on them? Do you need to like make sure that the the number is a valid credit card? Does that mean you want to like do a fraud check on them? Like whatever it is, it, it can be understood in so many ways. And aligning on that is like half the battle, honestly. Oh wow. I so agree. And we could do like a whole podcast episode on just that. Because I, I think you're totally right. Like so much of the time, people state an intention, but they either don't say what they mean, or maybe they don't even decide what they themselves mean to a sufficient level of detail before they like start trying to go in that direction. Yeah, I, I would love to have that episode. Um, yeah, I different think... episode. Different episode. <laughs> Um, yeah. Okay. Um, well, I think we have just a couple minutes left. Um, I, I, I don't know whether to say sorry or you're welcome, dear listener, for, for dragging us deep into duplication land. But I think what can be said is we covered it pretty thoroughly. I think we did, yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah, any, any other things we want to discuss for a few minutes regarding uh, feature flags before we go? Um, let me look at my cheat sheet. You know, I don't think there's anything on there that uh, we haven't touched in some way. So, um, yeah, maybe, you know, round it up by saying I, I like feature flags. I think feature flags allow teams to um, ship code faster and more safely and if you haven't tried them out might be worth some experimenting and you can start start small yeah i totally agree um and this i mean julian i think you know you're the kind of person who i could do almost unlimited podcast episodes with because i think there's a lot of there's a lot of stuff there but um Feature flags tie into so many different practices. Like for a team that's not used to like small PRs, for example, and, and small stories and stuff like that, the idea of feature flags might seem kind of alien to them and they might not understand how to incorporate that into their workflow and stuff like that. So I feel like there's a lot of that other stuff that would be worth uh, 
discussing too, but again, different episode. Yeah, I, I think maybe that that just sparked a thought. Um, one thing that uh, we had big pushback on when introducing feature flags um, was uh, the notion of, oh, that is more work because now you, you can't just change the code and push it out, right? You have like that logic to deal with the fact that there are two code paths and both can happen at the same time. Everything needs to be backwards compatible. So yes, it is more work, and um, it does add a certain level of complexity to the feature you're adding. I think you need to put that in relation to uh, the opposite of not doing it, and and the cost of you know either um, saving up a lot of code that you deploy all at once and put life and then debugging that that is also really complex and takes a lot of time and effort and is costly um uh same thing with small prs versus big prs um yeah maybe you don't need that feature flag uh, but you can't really release parts of the feature earlier you need to like do that whole thing in a single pr and understanding that pr and finding all the issues with it and identifying what could be better is also very costly and costs a lot of time so you essentially you're just trading off one type of complexity and cost for, for another yeah there's something almost paradoxical about certain things that i think makes it hard for people to intuitively grasp um where these things have more overhead but overall they're less cost and and less effort but they feel like they would be more effort and more costly because they're more overhead. Yeah. And I think the only way you can, you know, experience that is by like trying it out. I think there's like this assumption, pre-assumption, like this this notion of this is not going to work, but unless you actually try it and give it a shot, you, you're not going to know. And like every practice you need to... You know, if, if you start with testing, testing is probably going to slow you down. But over time, testing is going to speed you up. And I think that's like a very similar thing. In the beginning, feature flags might slow you down. But over time, they will make you more efficient. Exactly. Completely agree. Um, okay, well, maybe that's a good place to leave it. Last question for you, Julian. Where can people go to find out more about you online? Uh, I, I have a blog that I uh, haven't filled with anything new in quite a while, codetails.io, like a fairy tale, but for code. Um, and there's links to my you know, GitHub, LinkedIn, et cetera, if, if you want to stay in touch. Awesome. Well, Julian, thanks so much for coming on the show. Yeah, always a pleasure. Thank you. 